So hello and welcome to the Final Whistle podcast, Extra Time Edition. Um, today we're going to be talking a bit about Nottingham Forest as they've got to the Championship playoff final. And for both our sakes, we're hoping that we get to the Premier League next season. Um, so Rich joins us from the 1865 Nottingham Forest podcast. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, the nerves are starting to kick in, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I'm the same. Like At work today, it's... Anytime I've got like a break in work, that's all I'm thinking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think productivity in the Nottingham area is probably really low with all three Nottinghamshire teams being involved in their respective playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And, and how good is that as well? well? That's probably a nice place to start. How good is that? Like we, we just challenged before we started, obviously Mansfield in the playoffs and obviously Notts County, they're not, they're not there yet, but it looks like they could always get, get there as well. Oh, I mean, it's fabulous. I mean, the fact that Nottinghamshire's taking over, uh, taking over London this weekend um, with Mansfield yeah. playing the day before us. Obviously, if Notts get through, it won't be at Wembley. It'll be in the London Stadium. But even then, I mean, that would be something where, frankly, there should be sports reporters queuing up, to, queuing up the M1, really, shouldn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a massive achievement for, say, all Nottinghamshire clubs. And um, so, yeah, hopefully um, all three of us make it to our respective leagues that we want to go. Um, but yeah, there's only really one place to start, and that's the Sheffield United game from from last week. Um, how was that for you? Because as a fan being there, it was oh, just on the edge of my seat for the entire game. Yeah, we were talking about it on our podcast, and I was at the home leg with my brother, and we've been going to matches together for many, many, many years, right going back to the last, you know, to to, to the Frank Clark days, actually, in the European uh, UEFA Cup days and all of that. Um, and I, I've seen him annoyed. I've seen him disappointed. I don't think I've seen him as, as tense as I have done in that, in that match where, um, you know, at... I think he was in the beginning of extra time. He just zipped up his top, put his hood over, and he just hunched himself over for the remainder of the match, including the penalties. Um, I managed to stay relatively calm because, as you've probably gathered, I'm, I'm just about old enough to have seen Forrest do great things, but also do terrible things. And to be honest, after, yeah. after the four previous playoff campaigns, mm. I just thought, well, the worst that happens is we lose. At least we're not disgraced like we have been in some of those other ones. Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that when it when the, their second goal came in, I was thinking, oh no, there's deja vu from like the Blackpool game and stuff like that. Um, but I think kind of the game kind of changed for me when when Keenan Davis came on. I don't know if you kind of thought similar. Oh look, he's just a beast, isn't he? He's an absolute beast. And the 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 comparison I've drawn is uh, with with Ryan Giggs in his early days or Cristiano Ronaldo when. Uh, when he was about 20 where he's one of those players where you just can't you can't get the ball off him you either have to let him go past you or you have to try and take him out yeah. and the difference being compared to Ryan Giggs or Cristiano Ronaldo when they were both in their early 20s is that Keenan's so strong how how on earth do you take him out like he'd probably yeah. take you out in the process yeah I mean like his hold-up play is I think is much more beneficial than probably the goals he's probably been scoring like when he's on the pitch you just feel like you can get up the pitch so much more freely, if you know what I mean. Well, and wasn't it amazing that right from that Arsenal game when he's making his debut, having been announced as the first signing on New Year's Day, if I remember rightly, yeah. um, we weren't expecting him to jump straight into the team, but he jumped straight into the team despite not having played for the first half of the season. And already you could see what an 
added dimension he brought to an already very good style of football. And every football manager needs to have different different ways of playing in, in his locker. And although Steve Cooper has a very distinct style of play, which yeah. is a positive, attacking, flowing style of play, it is born on sim- simple principles. You've got to keep it tight at the back, which is why Steve Cook was purchased. Yeah. And then also, you've got to have different ways of doing stuff. So the Fulham match was the greatest individual um, example of that, where Forrest showed that, yeah, they can attack and they can go down the channels and all of that stuff that they do well, but they really showed an ability to dig in. And, and that could well be crucial in a one-off cup final. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is the thing. We've seen like different individual performances um, throughout the season. I think since January, you, you, but you probably picked them out a bit more, like... I think especially with James Garner, like I, I think he did have a good few games under Cooper as soon as Cooper came in. But I think since January, he's been a different class. Yeah, completely. And what was noticeable is that he probably had his worst game probably this calendar year, actually, against Sheffield United. He was a bit anonymous. And and you could tell that Sheffield United were therefore taking control of the midfield purely because Yates, he couldn't do it all by himself. And, and that Yates Garner pivot, double pivot, has mm. done such a good job for Forrest um, over the last few months, being crucial to Forrest more than the defence. That double pivot in midfield has provided the foundation upon which Forrest had that in, immense run in the last two months of the season. Yeah, and that's the thing, even with Ryan Yates, like I've, I've heard that he's been playing with like a shoulder injury for the last few games as well. So it just shows kind of the the spirit in the squad and the the, the willingness just to get through. Obviously, we had the the Cooper magic trick of uh, of uh, injury doubts before games, and then them and then them come in into play. But again, just going back to Davis quickly again, do you, do you think he'd be involved in Sheffield United at all, or did you think that was just Cooper's mind games again? Uh, I didn't. I wasn't surprised to see him on the bench. I would have been surprised. Um, I was maybe a little bit surprised uh, how much he played, particularly bearing in mind that, you know, he had to get through not only 20 minutes of normal time on the Tuesday, but also the the extra time. But, yeah. I mean, when he came on at Bramall Lane, he looked like he was, you know, he wasn't fit yeah. against against Sheffield United in the home leg. Like you say, he made a real difference. So, actually, those minutes at Bramall Lane, when we were at that time, two goals up. Yeah. You may think that it wasn't just about him contributing to the game. It was also about him getting those minutes in his legs, which meant that he was able to make a contribution in the second leg, which means that he may well be able to make a contribution in the final on a big pitch. Yeah. I mean, I was going to kind of talk about this a bit later on, but kind of as we're kind of on the subject now, mm-hmm. fully, fully fit Davis and also you've got Surridge, which one would you start if you, if you had the choice? Davis, uh, because we saw how effectively it worked in the kind of period around sort of February, March time, whereby Davis would start, he'd play 65 minutes, maybe, mm. and, you know, bang money's he's just been out injured, I think it would be unrealistic to expect too much more from him. And yeah. then Surridge can come on, and with his pace and his ability to run in the channels, yeah, add a completely different attacking threat. And and we said a number of times, can you imagine if you're an opposition defender, you've been given the runaround by Keenan Davis and Brennan Johnson, and then Davis goes off and you breathe a sigh of relief. And on comes Surridge, who's yeah. really quick. He's got good power as well, different type of power to Keenan Davis. Yeah. And also he's got this immense finishing ability. So he can pick up on these little scraps and just pop it into the into the bottom corner or the top corner. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd be slightly harsh on Sorich not to start on on, on Sunday, just because the form he's been in. Like he's been the, the, since he's come in, obviously since Davis has been injured, he's been up there with goals, he's been up there with assists. His, his gameplay has been really good. Um, but again, probably the perfect, probably one of the perfect January signings that Cooper made. Oh, you know, it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? Bearing in mind that going into January, the concern was what happens if Graben gets crocked? Well, Graben's been crocked for three quarters of the time since January, and we've still had a selection problem up front for some of that time. And then when Davis has been out, Sorry just stepped up. I mean, you mentioned about Yates's shoulder injury. I mean, let's not forget that. Um, you know, we've got a number of players who've been playing on one leg, basically. Um, so we've got um, we've got a number of players playing on one leg. Surridge is one of them. Zinkanagel, Colback, Yates with his shoulder problem. So you can't okay. say one leg, maybe one arm. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously McKenna and Cook have come back from serious injuries as well. So yeah. it's to get through to the end of the season and still be in a position to be one of the form teams in the division has been nothing short of remarkable. You could argue it both ways. You could say, well, it's a sign that Forest squad isn't good enough. But mm. actually, what does it say about the management style and the determination of those that bunch of players who, for the most part, looked dead and buried after seven games for them yeah. to be going in those last seven games thinking we can get automatic promotion? Yeah. I mean, so that's what I was going to get onto is, obviously, what, what was your expectations when at the start of the season when we had Houston in charge? What... Obviously, it didn't go to plan, but when when the season started, what were your thoughts on Hewton and kind of the season that we'd actually have? Um, it's so difficult, and we're looking at this through the through the benefit of hindsight now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I really, really, really wanted Hewton to do well because mm. he's somebody who's got a good track record. He seems like a really decent guy, um, but what? this season proved was that last season wasn't a one-off he he steadied the ship yeah. but he couldn't get them to do anything more than that mm. and there were performances last season that were stayed and, and 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 boring and and really kind of uninspiring and so you add in that kind of uninspiring and style of football and his insistence that he couldn't really get much more out of the players, his insistence that, well, I've put attacking players on because he'd maybe put on Alex Mighton in addition to Johnson and Graben and say, I've put more attacking players on. And what that shows is that actually the modern game has left him behind. Yeah. And it's easy to say that when he's gone, isn't it? But at the time, we really wanted him to succeed. And he was he was dealt a, a difficult hand in some ways and he didn't help himself in others. Yeah, do you think that obviously him coming in during COVID and then not being able to get that connection with the fans probably changed the atmosphere around the club when like fans like ourselves returned to the city ground after COVID? It probably didn't help. We'll we'll never know really, will we? I think um, what he did talk about a couple of times was that in the previous places he's managed you know, he'd go out for a meal or something like that and he'd, he'd bump into fans and and, yeah. and he'd have those little chats. And so there was a connection there, not just on match days. And of course, poor guy was 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 living probably in a hotel or a flat in Nottingham all by himself with his family being, yeah. you know, miles and miles away, him coming into work at a time when the club were in the doldrums. 
and the other the other factor that is probably worth mentioning is of course what the club itself were like so Yanis Rentsos was still the chief executive yeah Dane Murphy was brought in and I think from what we can gather, it seems as though Dane was trying to do the right thing by Hewton, but was kind of forced into position saying this isn't working. Yeah. Got Cooper lined up. Um, and yeah, so from what we've heard and certainly from the way that Sabri, Sabri's tenure crumbled, it mm. seems as though the club probably wasn't a very good place to work um, until Dane came in. Yeah. And that's the thing, the transition of the club since, obviously we can obviously mention Dane there as well. Um, obviously him getting the chief exec of the year just shows kind of what a job he's done at Nottingham Forest um, but then obviously Cooper coming in do you, I know we've obviously got our biased opinion as a fan but don't you think he's done everything the right way since he's been in the club? I cannot think that he's put a foot wrong in terms of his actions in terms of his words and his interview like, I was discussing this uh, with my missus actually and so saying literally every single interview He's got everything absolutely right. So he's criticised referees and just managed to stay on the right right side of not getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, he has talked about the deficiencies and said, you know, there's matches that we should have done more and maybe the game plan wasn't stuck to. And he's been honest in that respect. He's also been fulsome in praise for the players, the fans, the club. And uh, yeah, he's just got absolutely everything right in terms of the PR angle. But mm. crucially... You can you could just see after just a few matches how much the players are enjoying life under him, and and he keeps saying, and he's right, which is the way that he wants his teams to play is challenging. It's not just a standard, you know, go out there and play in your position. There's, the whole team has to connect, and on those occasions that they don't, that's when we get the second half at Bournemouth. That's when we get being under the cosh against Sheffield United when they're trying to come back into it and and and, and knock us out of the playoffs. And those are the occasions where actually the, the problem wasn't just that those teams were very good and full of Premier League players and Premier League management experience. That didn't help, but it forced Forrest into abandoning their usual tactics and game plan. Mm. If Forrest are able to stick to what they do, then they give any team in this division a, a game and, and the Fulham away match again proved it. Yeah, I, I also think that every time that we've had a loss under, under Cooper, that we've bounced back in such a positive manner as well. Like we haven't dwelled on on the loss. I think like Cardiff was off was our last loss for up until probably the, the Luton game, wasn't it? And that yeah, was yeah. a big period and look what we bounced on to do. Yeah, and and also we've not been obliterated in any match since Cooper's come. So we lost the Middlesbrough match 2-0 um, on Boxing Day and then that was followed by losing at Huddersfield at home. So Middlesbrough, we were poor and we deserved yeah. to lose. And of course, we gave him a goal head start as well with Yates' mistake. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, in the Huddersfield match, even though we lost it, and that was the only time we've lost two in a row since Cooper's come in, yeah, that's because we were playing basically the reserves because COVID had absolutely riddled riddled our team. And yet we still outplayed Huddersfield. And if it hadn't yeah, been Billy Nichols, we'd have got the points. Yeah. Against Cardiff, we were outplayed for 85 minutes and we still only lost by the odd goal. Luton, you know, a... Uh, a questionable penalty and definitely a wrong offside call. Yeah. So we lost 1-0. Bournemouth, it was, uh, you know, if we'd got that penalty in the first half, then it would have been a different game. And yes, they switched off. They got under the cosh and they switched off in yeah. defending in the last few minutes. But we've never been battered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I kind of think that 
we've probably won games where you probably wouldn't have expected us to win. We've got we've been managing to get more points in those sort of games. Like we talk about other like, refereeing decisions and stuff like that, but probably on paper or probably our opinion as fans, like you probably would have thought we'd probably beat Luton, but then we wouldn't beat Fulham. So it's like, do you think that we probably ended up in the right place in the end anyway? Oh, look, the table doesn't lie, does it? After 46 games, the table does not lie. Refereeing decisions haven't gone our way, but every fans of every club in the championship listening to this will be saying the same thing. They'll, they'll be reeling off the times that they should have had a penalty or the opposition um, set defender should have been sent off or whatever. Every, you know, I think that there is, I think on Radio Nottingham, they counted up and said it's in double figures the amount of penalties that they should have had. But you can't carry that as an excuse. What you can do is you can use that to help fire you up. And, um, and yeah, so to be the fourth best team in the championship when we gave the rest of the championship a 20 point head start, yeah. I, cannot, I cannot even begin to say how proud I am to be a Forest supporter in those circumstances. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like we we've been like we just said before uh, before we started. Like to be a fan of Nottingham Forest at the moment, it's just so good. Like you just feel like you've forever got like a smile on your face. You enjoy talking about Forest again. You're getting into some nice conversation about Forest for a change instead of going maybe talking a bit about the past too much. Or it kind of now feels like even if we don't win at Wembley, we are now on a point where we are starting to create our own new history again. Oh yeah, I mean. That word pride that I used is it's a really important one. Even though we, you know, we had a, a decent season before it all crumbled under Sabri Lamushi two years ago, even though we made the playoffs twice under Billy Davis, I've never felt the same sense of pride. Yeah. The, I've never felt that same sense of connection because there's always been something lurking. And so the last time I think I felt this amount of pride of being a Forest fan was was actually 19 years ago when Forest made the playoffs, played Sheffield United and lost that time. Yeah. When Paul Hart had a team which was made up of academy graduates and a few senior players. They were playing with attacking fullbacks. They were playing with a front three where the number 10 was dropping off and they were playing um, the centre forwards down the channels, including a centre forward, let's not forget, whose surname was Johnson. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of parallels there, but also Paul Hart had this real ingrained philosophy. He wanted running all the way through the club and there's signs. And we had a, we had a, a chairman and chief executive who were often maligned, but actually really had the club's interests at heart, um, even if they didn't always get it right. So there's a huge amount of parallels to, to that feeling from 19 years ago. The difference being this time, oh my word, we're at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like as you said, like the last time we were at Wembley was was thirty years ago. Fortunately, I wasn't born then. I've never seen Forest get to get to Wembley Stadium. It's such a big occasion for the fans. So let's start. Let's have a little chat about Wembley. Um, probably the one down point we've seen so far is John Moss as referee. He's getting his final. He's getting his final farewell. Um, a good appointment in the refereeing department there, or do you think it was just his last big profile game? Um, I'm just, you know what, whoever is the ref and whatever the circumstances, it's what we're dealt with. Yeah. So, And also does VAR as well this time around. Well, yeah. And, and what I'd also say is, uh, you know, Keith Stroud, we always moan and groan when we see Keith Stroud's a ref. But um, the last time he refed us uh, just recently, I think it's in the Fulham match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, every ref will get one or two decisions wrong in a match, but actually he he did something which I've never seen him do before. He had full control of the game. Yeah. And so in that respect, 
for all the all the pelters that Premier League refs get when they're refereeing the Championship, it's different now, and it's it's I mean I say different. It's not better or worse. So the things that are better are that they seem more in control of the game, and and also then there's more consistency there. So the thing that's worse, arguably, is that because they don't have VAR, they're shying away from making decisions. Yeah, it depends on how you frame it. I see it as they're a bit more lenient. And I'll give you a great example of that, which was Jared Gillick in the Blackpool away match. Didn't give most things, but he didn't give most things both ways. So at least actually the players and the managers know where they stand with that. And, you know, you could argue, I say, it's because they're used to kind of having a voice in their ear saying, you want to check that out, and they don't get in the championship. Now, in this one, he will have that voice in his ear. Mm -hmm. It's a big occasion. It's a big pitch. The refs can't win, can they? No matter no matter what happens. So yeah. so it doesn't really matter on that respect. I'm not going to moan about who the ref is. What I'm going to say is that if Forest do what they can do at their best, then that's what we should focus on. Yeah, of course. And I think that I think that Michael Oliver actually had a really good game as well the other night. I think he controlled the game really well. Yeah, uh, Paul Hackingbottom would say that as well because he, he he got away with one there. But as we discussed, the thing is there is that. The other thing with Premier League refs is that they know that they're not supposed to be the story. So yeah. if Michael Oliver had sent off Paul Heckingbottom and then the Blades had gone on to lose, then all that would have happened is it would have whipped up a, you know, Blades lose controversially after their manager is sent to the stands. Yeah. So Michael Oliver's just making sure that he wasn't the story. Again, does that make it OK that he wasn't sent off? That's a whole other argument. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um so going on to obviously the Wembley occasion now, um, is this another game for Bruce Samba to, is this, is it going to be more uh, Bryce Samba shit out three? Is what, what are we expecting from the likes of Samba Johnson in this game? Because this is like now their biggest stage they've played under. Well, I should first out, first point out that Brennan Johnson is at Wembley for the second time in two years. He's played in the play, yeah. player final before. Um, and uh, it's probably the, uh, might, might actually be the only member of our squad who has done, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas Huddersfield have got a couple. So they've, um, you know, Jonathan Hogg's done it before. And I think they've got one or two others as well. Um, although they haven't got most of that squad from their previous playoff uh, at, at Wembley when they got promoted five years ago. Um, look, Samba's a flamboyant character and that can swing either way Mm. and it swung the wrong way against Stoke when he got a bit too big for his boots and rightly got sent off and lost his place in the team for a while so we've seen him respond positively to that exile and never more was that more evident than the um the match against Sheffield United where he made a really big save after 10 minutes he made a really big save after 115 minutes and then of course the penalty shootout spoke for itself so yeah I mean he's going to be loving it isn't he yeah, I mean, like he, he has been one of those one of those characters since he's been at the club where the fans love him. Whatever, whenever he's doing something right, but then obviously you get he's had the odd moment, as you said, that that Stoke game and the Arsenal game coming off, coming off his line a bit too soon and that sort of thing. But again, he yeah, there were some incredible saves against Sheffield United, and it kind of just again, I keep going back to this team spirit, but it just shows that everybody is together within this team now, and like the way that. Yates was rushing over and Johnson were all rushing over to him at the end of that penalty shootout. We're not going to talk too much about the pitch invasion, but you just don't want this team to to like disperse. And that's why you kind of want to see Forrest go up because we will lose 
probably the likes of Spence and Garner, they won't probably they won't come back to a championship club. And obviously the Johnson's future's unknown as well, Joe Worrell. Do you think it's vital that we go up or what, what are your thoughts? If we don't go up, you're absolutely right. There's going to be players who aren't at the club next season. Probably about half of this of this current team won't be there, I would have thought. Um I'd very much doubt Jed Spencer's coming back to City Ground, whatever division we're in. I, I, I would imagine he's already signed a nice contract to go to a team who are higher up the uh, higher up the footballing tree, um, and you could tell that from the way he um, sat down in the centre circle and had his picture taken uh, with his mum, which was nice. Yeah, um, yeah I saw her in the celebrations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's, from his point of view, he's he's earned a move to a higher level. Um, Jimmy Garner, whether that's with Man United or whether that's another loan somewhere in the Premier League, who knows? And of course, Brennan is the big, you know, the multi-million dollar question. If we go up, then he's a fan, so he might want to stay and he'll have the um, the ground to negotiate a, a nice a nice contract. Yeah. And, and and if we don't, then to be honest, with the year in his contract, you can't really stand in his way. And, and and he's earned his right. It's a meteoric rise. He's earned his right to to try his hand at a higher level. Although I'm still a little bit sceptical as to whether he'd get enough game time if he did go up. So there's that balancing act. But, you know, he's got his dad advising him on that, hasn't he? So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's like if obviously I don't think it would be the end of the world if, if we don't, obviously get to where we want to be um we've shown what the dane murphy cooper recruitment strategy is and we kind of see the what sort of market we're going to be going into next season and i don't know about you but i can see us challenging again if we don't go up i i certainly have a lot more faith in the club to do the right things so you know this january we signed steve cook and keenan davis and sam surridge and richie larrier um, two years ago, we signed Adama Diakabi and Gaitan Bong and Nuno da Costa. So you can tell that there's a little bit more nous and know-how in the right places. And hopefully that if Forrest don't go up, then it means that the rebuild can take place. I mean, also, let's not forget, Joe Worrell probably would have left last season if he hadn't been a fan. He had the chance to go and he would have done. So if he if we don't go up, you can't, again, you can't stand in his way as 25 years old, earning his move to the Premier League. But we've got Loic and Beso. We've already got Richie Larrier, who can yeah. play um, right wing back. Um, we've got Jonathan Panzo, in case Premier League cl- clubs look at um, Scott McKenna. Um, Jimmy Garner's a slightly different one. Brian Ahader probably isn't quite the same kind of player. Um, Cafu probably isn't quite the same kind of player. But again, you couldn't argue that that someone like Cafu, Laria, um, Panzo and Mbeso, they've been waiting patiently in the wings and you can't argue that that they um, wouldn't be still there in the squad and be able to do a job. It's just a question of how you add that kind of, that, that, that icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what is your, what's your Wembley plans? What's, uh, how are you going to get yourself riled up for the game itself? <sighs> You know, I'm, I'm trying to avoid thinking about it, to be honest. Um, the main thing is going to be, can we, you know, get get there and drink it in? That's the main thing is, that you know, win or lose. Mm. Um, it's an occasion and it's an occasion we couldn't have dreamed of at the start of the season. It's an occasion that, frankly, it's, it, 
playoff final is the best way to get promoted and it's the worst way to not get promoted isn't it um so i think the fact it's so unexpected and we've got so much pride in steve cooper in the players in the club means that even if it doesn't work out actually it's not going to be as devastating because it's just been such one heck of a ride just to get here yeah i mean when you think about obviously uh cooper coming in and the points we had the fa cup run and obviously finishing even losing out to second place in the way we did as well. It's like, it's all been part of this one great season that we've had. So again, I, I'm kind of on the same page. I think win or lose, we've, we've got, as you keep saying, pride in our team and we can know we're going we're gonna to go on to greater things with under, under Steve Cooper. Um, but I think we'll end it there. So thank you so much, Rich, for, for joining me. It's been a pleasure having you on and hopefully we can do more of this maybe next season in the Premier League. And if not, well, fingers crossed. We can, uh, we'll have some championship conversation as well. So, yeah, thank you for joining us on the Full Time Whistle podcast. Thank you.